evening, Claremont Bible Chapel. <clears throat> Lauren, next time we'll have to coordinate that so I know when it's ending I can walk up at the end, you know, kind of have it all set up. I like it. Thank you for that. Showing off that uh, the expense was worth it for the piano, too. That was good, too. I like that. Uh, good evening, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> So it is my plan tonight um, to be everyone's favorite speaker and end early. So that's the goal here. So uh, we're, we're, if, if I do this right, it should only take about 30 minutes. If I do it wrong, then, well, that happens. <clears throat> One of the things I want to look at <clears throat> tonight, it's... it's uh, to have two questions in our mind. Um, what we talked about this morning in Nehemiah was this idea of this perspective, this change in perspective that causes us to see things the way God sees it, biblically by his word, to take it in, and to not see from our own perspective of what we desire, but to see from God's perspective what he desires. And in that, we can better understand how he's dealing with us or how he's blessing us or not blessing us and maybe understand the reasons why. Um, one of the questions that comes up sometimes when we're in a crisis or when we're going through great difficulty is this question, um, does God care? Does God really care about me and my situation? And if he does care, how much can he help? How much will he help? These are things that come to mind normally when we're going through a difficult time. When we're not going through a difficult time, these are things that don't tend to enter our mind. We just, we just don't think about them. Um, we're going to look at tonight uh, this question as it comes up in the um, account of the Gospels, and it comes up from the disciples. Uh, these are questions that they themselves ask about the Lord Jesus, and as um, the author Mark, by the Spirit of God, is unfolding for us the story of, or the account of Jesus and his disciples in from the time that he was uh, uh, called by, uh, recognized by John the Baptist until the time of his uh, resurrection and ascension into heaven. This idea of who is Jesus and what did he come to do and how does it affect me? Um, as this unfolds, one of the questions that comes up is does he care and can he help? So in Mark chapter 4, we're going to look in at verse 35. Mark 4.35, and it reads, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the cistern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you care? And who is this really? These are the questions that they ask. When they are in this predicament and the boat is filling and, and things are getting tough and he's asleep there, 
you would wonder what they were expecting would happen when they awoke him. If they're so shocked that the storm was calmed, what did they think he was going to do? They're the expert fishermen. They're the ones that have spent their lives and livelihoods out on the, the sea there. And they're waking up a carpenter to do what exactly? They may have not even known, but in their desperation, they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responded. And the Lord says, why did you have no faith? What is he really asking? Why don't you believe I care for you? Why do you think I'm just, I'm just going to let you here perish in, in the sea? They had this doubt that the Lord didn't care for them, that he was just going to let them die in the middle there of the sea. So these are the questions I can ask. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? How far does his power extend? And as we look at tonight, we're really going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 5. And this question is kind of answered in this chapter as the Lord deals with really four individuals, um, but, but three primarily in who he's healing or who he's uh, dealing with ideally. And as he deals with these people, the effects of who Jesus is, does he care, how much can he help? So as this is the question, we're going to break in in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he carried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. An amazing account, an amazing situation. Uh, it seems that he was only there for a short period of time. And yet, it seems, looking back retrospectively, that he made the journey for one man at a time. This man that was forgotten by the people. This man that was completely abandoned, that no one could help. And he was in what we would call a hopeless situation. 
have we ever been in a hopeless situation? This guy had no one to turn to. In fact, the only help he got was people coming to bind him with shackles and strap him in a graveyard so that he, he would no longer be a nuisance to the rest of the city. That was their idea of helping him. As the Lord gets there, we see the interesting thing that happens is the ones that are really afraid are the demons that possess this man. And they are begging the Lord not to torment them before the time. The question has often been asked by believers, and I think rightfully so, if God really wanted people to get saved, why not give them a glimpse of hell? A moment in hell would surely convince any person to trust in Christ and be saved. What we see here in these demons is that the only place the demons did not want to go, the only place the demons did not want to be was in this place of torment. They were willing to do whatever he asked as long as it wasn't to be tormented before the time. And as we ask ourselves that question, why is it that God doesn't show people a glimpse of hell? The answer can really only be the fact that God doesn't want people in heaven that just hate hell. God wants people in heaven that love his son. So instead of showing you a glimpse of hell and out of fear running to God, God wants to show you a glimpse of heaven. He wants to show you a glimpse of who inhabits heaven and what heaven is really like, and he sends the person of Jesus Christ, that we may see him and that we may understand and we may desire to be with him. As this man is being spoken to, the first thing Jesus does, he asks him his name, and he sends the demons away. And now this man, for the first time, has found someone who cares and who is able to help him. And that's going to be the theme of what we're talking about tonight. No one else could help him except for the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else was willing to help him except for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this instance here where this man, then healed, has a desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but Christ gives him an instruction to go and tell people about the compassion that the Lord had on him. And that's what we're talking about tonight. When we talk about God, oftentimes we talk about God in a way that makes people feel like following God is a difficult, unwanted thing. And though it is a difficult thing, it is not an unwanted thing. It is something that we should desire. It is something that we should strive for. And it is something that when we fail, we want to improve on. What Christ is now sending this man to do is to go tell all these people of the compassion that the Lord has and that the Lord is able to help and that the Lord cares. So this man goes and he, he does what he does and we'll find that he has great success later on in the scripture. So this is a man who had no hope that met Jesus. Verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So this is a high man of authority. What we met with earlier was the, the forgotten man of the town, 
And now he comes to the other side, and we see this man of authority, this well-respected man, coming and kneeling and falling at the feet of Jesus. Now, I have never in my life experienced another man falling and bowing down and begging another man to do something. I've never witnessed that. Especially not from a person of high rank in a community. Uh, we couldn't imagine our mayors going and falling at the feet of a homeless carpenter. Um, that's something that would be a shock. And so we have this multitude that is gathered around to see what is taking place. Jesus is coming back. What's going to happen? This man was hopeless, and he was desperate. This daughter is sick, and all he knows is that Jesus can help her. Verse 25 now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she, she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." We have an instance now where another woman comes running, falling, and trying to touch just the hem of the garment of Jesus' attire. Um, we see in the Old Testament that that hem has some significance of the blue strip around to, to symbolize certain things. And she, in her own mind, says, if I can but touch that garment, I know I can be made well. And so what do we see take place? that Jesus is able to meet her at the point where she is able to go, this point of faith that she has. And so as Jesus is walking along, this man is desperate. This, this, his daughter is sick. They're trying to get there as fast as they can. This interruption takes place. And all of a sudden, Jesus pauses, and he wants to speak to the one that touched him, this girl, a lowly figure compared to this religious leader in the community, uh, especially considering that if the flow of blood um, was there for 12 years, she would have been ritually unclean for all this time. She would not have been able to partake. So she would have even been more cast out of society at this point. And yet Jesus takes the time to speak to her. Now, it says that she was afraid. She may have been afraid because it, knowingly, if you were to touch another person, that would defile the other person. And so, she, you know, Maybe she thought she was going to be uh, in trouble for something like that, uh, that she touched the hem of his garment, and now uh, he was ceremonially unclean. Um, but we see that doesn't affect the Lord at all. Uh, he is the one that makes things clean. So he has this conversation, and he says something that's interesting. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Uh, in some translations, it might say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This was a person that was unclean, hopeless, spent all she had, and she was worse for it, not better. Tried everything. No hope. 
until she met Jesus. As we continue on, we get back to this man who is extremely desperate. In verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? That would just be a knife through the heart. Because you see, this man's faith went to a certain point. This man believed, it seems, that Jesus could make his daughter well being sick. It doesn't seem at this point that he believed that Jesus could bring her back from the dead. And so who is this Jesus? Does he care? We've established at this point, Jesus cares. Jesus is going all over the place for people. How much can he help? To this point, he's been able to uh, calm a storm. He has power over nature. He's been able to cast out demons. He has power over the spirit realm. Uh, He has been able to heal this woman of her affliction. He's able to uh, heal illness and to make someone pure in that sense. But does he have power over death? Can he raise this girl from the dead? As the news comes, Jesus overhears. And it says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered with the ch- where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said something should be given her to eat. This hopeless situation, this impossible situation, was all of a sudden made possible because of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in this short chapter, proves not only that he cares, but that he is able to help in all situations. When this is all taking place, this is taking place with individuals. The very next miracle that he does is the feeding of the 5,000. So you might have this question in your mind, well, yeah, he's able to help maybe on a one-on-one basis, but how far does his power extend? How much ability does he really have? And we have this miracle that shows that he has abundance, that even with the little bit he is able to provide, uh, afterwards there's an abundance. There's more than they started with. So there's no wearing out the power and ability of Jesus Christ. And as they come, the disciples are learning more and more about this person, this Jesus Christ, and this question of, do you even care? And what manner of man is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? He is much more than that. He is a man that has control over the spirit realm. He is a man that could make you whole, and he is a man that can raise you from the dead and save your soul. The difference between us and these people 
is that these people were in a crisis situation. They realized that there was nowhere left to turn, there was no one that could help, and they had no hope. Sometimes our failure to understand our situation, <clears throat> the Bible teaches us in Romans 3.10 that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible teaches us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a failure to comprehend that we are an offense to God, that we are separated him from him because of our sin and we are without hope. That's something that's difficult to understand. Before I was saved, I just thought that you just you try your best and you hope for the best. And what the Bible is really telling you is that if you're looking to yourself, you have no hope. And I wish somebody would have told me earlier when I said, they would ask me, oh, so when you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I would say, I don't know, or I would say, I hope so. That if that is your answer, it is simply proof that you're trusting in yourself for salvation. That you're counting and you're waiting that when your life is over, you're going to let God decide if you were good enough to get in. And that it is 100% pride and the greatest offense towards God. And why is it an offense towards God? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you think you're going to do something more than what Jesus Christ has done for you in dying on the cross, you are gravely mistaken. And if you think the wrath of God is something to be feared, even more so the spurning of his son. God's message goes out not to scare us, but to call us to himself that we would believe in his son, that by his shedding of his blood on that cross of Calvary, he has once and for all paid the debt of sin that we owed and made peace. That Jesus Christ came in this world to save us because of our sin. That God would love us so much that instead of judging us, he would choose to pour out all of that judgment, all of that wrath upon his most beloved son so that we could go free. And what we see in the scripture today is to have faith that he is able. To have faith that he cares for us. Many in this room are already believers. And even we fall into this position of does God really care? We need only look to the cross. We need only look to the Savior to see how much God cares. We have this idea that by his blood... He has made peace. He has given us life. If you have not trusted in Christ, you need to take note from the demons who feared this place of torment more than anything else. It is not a place you want to go. And to see this taste of heaven that is offered in Christ, that he offers a place with him forever because of what he's accomplished for you in your place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, short time we've had tonight to simply open your word and to think of the glories of your Son, to think of his great compassion and care for us, to think of his kindness to go out to the lowliest of us. Father, to think that you were willing to judge him that we might go free. Father, we pray for anyone in here tonight 
that has never made that decision, who does not know where they will end up when they die, that they would turn from their faith in themselves and put their faith in Christ, that they would repent and believe in this gospel, this good news, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, that the work is finished, that his blood was shed, that he was buried, and three days later he rose again, Father, and he sits at your right hand. Father, we're so thankful for our Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.